On today's episode, episode 77 of the Rami Lavi podcast, a lot to talk about. The Baltimore Orioles have been the hottest team in baseball. The Yankees snap their losing streak. Donovan Mitchell to the Knicks is heating up and a whole other bunch of stuff that happened in the NBA, including contracts to Dame Lillard and a contract to James Harden. Potential trade deadline moves to their New York Yankees. And Zach Wilson has that dog in him. All that and more coming up next. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welcome back. Episode 77. It feels like it's been a while, uh, mainly because I don't know, for some reason, like I love having guests, honestly, like it's fun to talk to other people on the show and to get interesting stories. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit later in the podcast. But I think like it feels like almost I didn't record at all because of something totally different than what I've been doing recently, which has been more solo stuff. And so having a guest on and talking to someone else uh, and doing all that, it feels like I haven't talked to you guys in a while. So what's up? Um, How's everyone doing? There's actually a lot to talk about. I do want to talk about the guests, like I said, a little bit later in the podcast, but um, there's a bunch of stuff to talk about. Do you know, actually, there's actually a uh, call-in button. Every link in the description of my podcast, you can see there's like a, um, a link to leave a voicemail. So you could actually leave a voicemail for the show. Uh, I'd love to hear from you guys, so definitely do that. But before we do any of that, I do want to kick it off with the NBA. Um, I feel like this week was an interesting week in the league because there was a lot of talking, but not a lot going on. And I do want to talk about that a little bit later in the podcast. So I feel like every episode I'm sitting here going, well, there's not much going on, not much to talk about. When at the end of the day, there's always stuff to talk about uh, if you create stuff to talk about. And actually, it's kind of funny because like just now when I went a few days without recording a podcast, it feels like there's been a ton to talk about. So there's definitely a lot to get to. I don't know if you heard Jets quarterback is in the news. Um, minor stuff nothing that interesting uh depends who you are you might find it to be really interesting uh some people do the orioles won their 10th straight game just now i just finished watching that game so i mean i find that to be interesting i can imagine some people don't also but to me what they've been able to do has been pretty much unbelievable unreal what that franchise has been able to accomplish and so we'll get to that a little bit later in the podcast as well So like I said, a lot going on, a lot to talk about, but I'm still going to kick it off with the NBA. I think the offseason is the most interesting season of the basketball season. And starting off with a Dame contract, because that was the last thing that happened. It happened Friday, but I was in the studio when it happened, and then I haven't recorded a solo pod since, so I haven't had the opportunity to talk about it. Damian Lillard signs a contract for $120-something million to stay a two-year extension on top of his current contract. He had three years left on his deal with Portland. And now he adds two years at the end of that. The final year is going to pay him $63.3 million in a single season. I think it's one of the more unbelievable contracts we've seen recently in the NBA. I think it's the highest average like per season total salary we've seen in the NBA. So breaking records here if you're Damian Lillard. And really what, what comes down to is the league has set up a system where if you stay in your town that you're currently in, we're going to pay you as much as we possibly can. 
and they want people to stay. And that's the thing. When you look at everything that's happened in this NBA free agency and everything that's happened with the trades and people requesting trades and superstars asking out, all that stuff has caused the NBA to change the rules and make it that if people stay in their hometown, we will pay you more to stay. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And in the case of Damian Lillard, we still don't know if it's going to work. Now, Damian Lillard is one of those guys who's it's been rumored that he's leaving forever. I mean, we've been talking about this for how long that Damian's out, Damian's out. He's definitely out. And I don't know if that's true. Like, I thought about this recently, and a friend of mine pointed this out to me because I was talking about Bradley Beal, and I was like, oh, Bradley Beal signed the extension just so he could leave, and I talked about it on the podcast a couple times, how he played the Wizards, like, oh, yeah, you know what? I'm just going to stay because that's the smartest move. I could get the most money, and then I could just ask, ask out a year later. I don't know if that's necessarily true. As much as we talk about how Beal is definitely leaving, and we've talked about it for a while now, is he really? Is he definitely leaving? Is there no way that anything else happens? I don't think that's true. I think I, I need to change my mindset. My friend said to me, he's like, did Beal ever actually ask out? Or is it just rumored that he's been wanting out? So you're assuming that he asked out. He never did ask out. And he's right. So with Dame Lillard, we all talk about, oh, he wants to be a champion. And finally, he kind of addressed it. He said, look, I don't know how if I'm going to feel better leaving and chasing a championship. And maybe he's kind of alluding to what Kevin Durant did or what LeBron James did or what other people did. But he kind of wants to be the guy in Portland, maybe. So maybe we're looking at this from the wrong perspective and not that, oh, these guys, they, they just want to leave. They just want to get out of here. But first, they want to make sure they get the bag. So he just signed the extension so that now he's got guaranteed $63.3 million in five years from now when he's 30-something years old and at the, on the last legs, probably the end of his career, and definitely not the same guy. But he could be traded anyway because guys get their guaranteed money, the most money they could possibly get, and then go elsewhere to win. Maybe he just got the guaranteed money and he wants to stay. And that's kind of what he talked about. With a new TV deal coming in, by the way, these contracts are not going to look like, because it's five years from now, that's what we have to remember, $63.3 million, That's going to be about middle of the road for what these superstars who are getting max contracts are getting paid. When guys like Giannis Antetokounmpo, his contract is up. When a guy like Luka Doncic, think about how young he is when his contract is up we might be looking at numbers like $80 million a year. I'm not even kidding. So when you think about it, you're not going to be paying him that much, that much of an outrageous amount. And for all the people on the flip side of this is, <laughs> that doesn't mean he's not getting traded. Just because I said that maybe he actually wants to stay and it's not for sure that he is getting traded, it doesn't mean he's not getting traded. Like we talk about, oh, well, that contract is huge, $63 million. How's anyone ever going to trade that? This guarantees he stays now. Not really. He could be traded still. Like I said, it doesn't mean he is. All the stuff that we assume, no one knows what's actually happening. Bradley Beal could stay. Maybe he just is happy being the best player on a team that's pretty mediocre. Damian Lillard, he's built something in Portland. Maybe that's important to him and he just wants to stay. But don't come at me with the, oh, it's an untradeable contract. Remember the untradeable contract? That was Russell Westbrook. That contract he signed was untradeable with OKC. Well, he's been traded to Houston to Washington, and to the Lakers. So the untradeable contract of Russell Westbrook has been traded three times already. So to tell me that a contract is untradeable, that's just not true. That said, like I said, that doesn't mean that Damian Lillard is definitely asking out because he got the guaranteed money. And that's something that I said about Bradley Beal. And it's something that people pointed out to me that are like, hey, maybe don't say that because, yeah, it's been rumored that he's wanted out. And I still think he's not going to last the length of this contract there in Washington. I just personal opinion. 
But to say a guy's asked out when he hasn't necessarily asked out, also, I understand why people would take issue with that. Another guy who got a new contract that, <laughs> this one might be untradeable, actually, is James Harden. And everyone's talking about, wow, how selfless of James Harden. He takes a $15 million haircut. He was supposed to make $47 million this year, and he made 32 And I talked about it. I said, well, before he took the contract, I looked at it, and I was like, oh, no, he's opting out because it makes more sense for him to opt out. He'll get more guaranteed long-term money. So he gets a two-year extension. That's a total of $64 million. Yeah, it's 32 per year. Yeah, it's 15 less this year than he would have made. But 15 less this year, and still about 20 more overall. 15 more overall over the course of the two seasons. So 62, and this is the math that James Harden must have done, is more than 47. So for James Harden, it's a win-win. If James Harden plays incredibly, he has an opt-out after the first year of this contract at 32, and he'll sign a four- or five-year extension at the end of that, which he was limited in how long of an extension he could have signed after this contract was up. So instead, he opts out, signs a new contract, and he just extended his career by a year. And if he plays terribly, and he doesn't opt out, and he can't opt out, then he guaranteed himself $15 million more dollars than he would have gotten if he stayed on the $47 million and played terribly. Now, does it also open up cap space for the 76ers? Does it also allow them to do more? Yeah, I guess so. They could bring in a couple of guys this year. Their roster is a little bit more flexible than it was. But don't come at me with, oh, James Harden is the most selfless guy. And by the way, I'm the biggest James Harden stan. I want to come on here and say, good on James Harden. He did something selfless. Finally, James Harden, good for him. And then I looked at it. And I said, at the end of the day, it's selfish. And I was right before he did it. And I'm still right now that he ended up getting more money than he was ever going to get. And so for James Harden, you could say it was a big selfless move. He's doing it for the team. But at the end of the day, it's more money for him. And I don't see how it's not a win-win for James Harden himself. Like I said, if he plays great, then great. He can opt out and get even more money, a larger, longer contract. If he plays terribly, he's guaranteed another $32 million next season after a terrible season this year that he wouldn't have gotten any other way. Now for the Sixers, it doesn't really make sense to me. What was the leverage? What was his leverage that they felt like they had to pay him $64 million? Why did he feel so comfortable to opt out and that he was almost guaranteed to get this kind of money? That's kind of weird to me that the Sixers didn't push back a little bit and were like, hey, no one else is going to pay you. We're just going to keep you on this one-year deal because we're not going to give you more. We want you to prove it. Yeah, it's $47 million for one year, but we need you to prove it. It's weird that he ended up getting a better contract for James Harden. Is it ultimately better for the Sixers? Yeah. But where else was he going to go? He wasn't going to show up in Detroit or any other team with a ton of cap space and a bad team, a bad situation. And were they blowing him out of the water with a crazy contract? Like, if I was the Sixers, guess what's also more money for James Harden? Two years, $50 million. So once he opted out, I could have given him that contract, right? It's still more than forty-seven for Harden. But now at least there's a little bit more incentive for him to try and play really well. Now, like I said, with the Beal situation and the Dame situation, with the cap going up, is a $32 million contract a lot for a guy who at one point was a league MVP? No, but if he's the version he was the last year, then that's that's he's not worth anything. He's definitely not worth 32. Now, 
here's the thing with James Harden, because a lot of people said to me, um, well, James Harden's still a former MVP. He's still a really good player. Who knows what happened last year? But obviously he wasn't comfortable. Give him another season with Embiid. Let's put them together. Let's see what happens. My problem with James Harden is not so much how he played last year. My problem with James Harden is that in the last two seasons, he's asked out of two separate places and we've seen him give zero effort. A bad attitude, an attitude that you can totally give up on your team and give up on your teammates and play the way he played in the Sacramento game when he was on the Nets and play the way he played down the stretch and look the way he did in Houston. That's the stuff that scares me about James Harden. Can he still be an elite player at times? That's very possible. <laughs> like I said, he's one of my favorite players. I'm a huge James Harden stan when he was at his best. And so it's possible he comes out and he actually looks good. But at any point, if he could just give up because he doesn't feel like it, that's what scares me about James Harden. So giving him more guaranteed money, I don't care that it opens you up for this season. It's just really scary to me that you're going to give a guy who's shown that he could give up on your team at any point and just sabotage everything more guaranteed money. And that's something that if you're the Sixers, when I talk about what leverage did Harden have over them, that they felt they had to do that, that's the part that scares me if I'm a Sixers fan or if I'm the 76ers front office. And if I own that team or if I'm the coach of that team or if I'm one of the players on that team and I look at the special relationship Daryl Morey had with James Harden and clearly still currently has, you kind of look at that and you have to wonder, maybe there's something there that shouldn't be happening. And maybe that's why he keeps getting these contracts. And maybe that's why it looks like it worked out so well for James Harden because Daryl Morey really does care about him and just was going to give him the money because he trusts Harden so much. Now, Harden's one of those guys. He's a more interesting guy. I think he's more to himself. I'm not going to claim that like of all the NBA superstars, I think we know the least about him. So I don't know what actually is going on with him or what his relationship really is like. And I do trust a guy like Daryl Morey. Daryl Morey has been just a special mind in the NBA over the last couple of decades. But at the same time, like I said, it's it's hard to not look at their relationship and think that maybe that's the reason that Harden got everything he did. All right, to the big story in the NBA, and I just looked at my phone for a second because I got another note sent to me just now about Donovan Mitchell. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago when the Jazz traded away Rudy Gobert. It looked like they were going to tear it down, and that was the goal. So it didn't seem all that unlikely that Mitchell was right behind him. And now it's becoming more and more likely that Donovan Mitchell will get moved in the coming weeks, if not months. Now, does that mean he's getting traded tomorrow? Probably not. And here's why I say that. I think when you have a fire sale, like clearly the Jazz are having, and Danny Ainge has done this before when he got to Boston and he traded away Ray Allen and Paul and Kevin to Brooklyn, obviously, and rebuilt that whole franchise by doing that. I'm curious what kind of leverage Danny Ainge thinks he has here. And here's what I mean by that. He traded away Rudy Gobert and got a ton back for him. Now, Gobert, to me, is the less valuable asset of the two assets with Mitchell and Gobert. Gobert was seemingly at an all-time low in his stock value. Mitchell is not at his highest after the playoffs and the way he's played a little bit of late. But he's still young and a guy who, if you look at him, you're like, oh, that's going to be a guy who's a superstar in the league for a long time. So when you look at Donovan Mitchell, that's a guy who you're like, okay, he's the better asset of the two assets when you're looking at Mitchell and Gobert. That said, 
if you know that he needs to be traded and it's kind of the same situation that we talked about with Brooklyn or any time a superstar asks out of a place that he's in, anytime there's a guy who seems to be that there needs to be a trade happening or in baseball, a guy on an expiring contract that the team needs to get a return for him because they know they're not re-signing him. Anytime you see something like that, you wonder how much leverage the team trading away has. And that's why I say I don't know if this is going to happen right away because Danny Ainge might want to wait this out and say, look, I'm not desperate to trade him. We still have him under control for a little bit. We can wait till the middle of the season. We can wait till next offseason. So those situations for Danny Ainge and for the Jazz, that's what you're looking at here. And so it's a weird thing for me because if you're a team, and I want to use my Knicks as the example because they've been rumored to be connected to Donovan Mitchell for a long time, but also it seems like that is picking up steam. And Brian Winhurst was talking about it again on ESPN today and how the Knicks and Donovan Mitchell is picking up speed. The note I just got from The Athletic saying the same thing, that the Knicks and Donovan Mitchell is picking up steam. To me, why would you include Emmanuel Quickly in that trade? Why would you include Quentin Grimes in that trade? Why would you include RJ Barrett, of course, in that trade? To me, it's like, hey, if they want to trade him, then eventually they're going to get to a point where they need to trade him and they can't wait any longer. But right now, let someone else overpay for him. Like, there's two sides to this. I wonder, does the team trading for Donovan Mitchell, and the example I'm using is my Knicks, but I'm only using it as an example, feel like, oh my God, there's so many people out here trying to trade for Donovan Mitchell that we need to be the first to get on this. We don't want to get outbid by the Heat, for example, which I think still is the most likely destination for Donovan Mitchell. So do the Knicks feel like, okay, now we have to overpay? Or does a smart team look at this and say, you know what, if someone else is willing to overpay for him, so be it. We'll wait for the next guy who's going to come in cheap because there will always be a next guy who comes in cheap. And that's something I've talked about this entire offseason. There's going to be someone who asks out. There's going to be someone who becomes available. And so why would you overpay for the guy who right now might not be available? And by the way, the next guy might still be this guy. Because if no one overpays for him, then Danny Ainge might lower the price. So if the price on Gobert was five first-round picks and current talent, I can only imagine what the Mitchell price is. The flip side to this is maybe the Jazz are like, hey, actually, we want to get rid of him now. And we're willing to take a little bit of a haircut on the deal because we just got so much for Gobert. Now, Danny Ainge doesn't strike me as the type of guy who would do that. He has been excellent at getting everything he wanted. He is a master of accumulating picks. So if I'm the Knicks and I look at this, like I said, from a Knicks fan perspective, I'm not rushing to trade with Danny Ainge. He's won every trade he's made. I'm not rushing to go get a guy who, yeah, he's available. Yeah, he's a great player. But right now, we're building. We seem to have a system in place. We just got a point guard. We have these young players who are playing in the summer league. We have RJ Barrett. Do you really want to run to give all that away just because this is the first guy that's available at not so cheap? Or do you want to wait till someone's available a little bit cheaper and it may actually end up being Donovan Mitchell who's available cheaper down the road? It's a tough spot to be in. I wouldn't overpay for him. I would definitely not give up RJ Barrett. I'd be hesitant to give up a guy like Emmanuel Quickly, to give up a guy like Quentin Grimes, even Deuce McBride. Those are good assets. If you told me you were trading to Obi Toppin and Evan Fournier and maybe even you were able to get Julius Randle in that deal and throw a bunch of picks with it, that kind of makes sense to me. But even then, we're rushing to trade away five picks when right now the pendulum has swung so far that 
a ton of picks get traded in these trades. Maybe it normalizes a little bit. And in a year from now, we're looking at only trade, having to trade three picks for a guy like Donovan Mitchell. Like I said, I'm not a guy who values these picks so much, but the timing is everything. It's kind of interesting. If you think back to the Carmelo Anthony trade that the Knicks made, I wonder what the media's effect in those days would have had, like if it was the media the way it is today, where they're playing each other, there's Shams and there's Woj and there's Windhorse and there's all these guys playing each other out in the public in social media and it's playing itself out publicly. And there's all this stuff going on with this player and that player and everything that's talked about on Twitter and teams feel like they need to keep up and teams feel like they need to make something happen as quickly as possible. If that was happening in the time of Carmelo Anthony, I wonder what people would be saying about the Knicks at that time. But to me, that's the ultimate case of where the timing just didn't make sense. The Knicks trade so much for a guy that they could have gotten in free agency. Like, I wonder what the reaction would have been. Yeah, they wanted him right now. They wanted to, Amari was having an MVP type season. They wanted to bring him in and kind of make a championship run, they thought in the Eastern Conference. But what happens is you give away your entire future and you offload what you currently have. So you end up stuck with eight years of Carmelo Anthony and no help around him and nothing coming. And everyone thought, oh, well, you bring in Carmelo Anthony, the free agents will come. And people are saying the same thing now about Donovan Mitchell. If you bring in Donovan Mitchell, you already have Jalen Brunson, free agents will come. But what if they don't come? And you gutted the entire system. You have no depth anymore. You have no draft picks. Then what? Is Donovan Mitchell and Jalen Brunson winning you a championship? No. So like I said, there's a way to improve your team, to get players who are going to help you in the long run, to get players who are game-changing players for right now and for the future without gutting everything that you currently have in the system, without tearing it down completely. We've seen the path to that in the NBA so many times over the last couple years that why are you running? To get rid of everything you have to clean out your system for a guy who might be available down the road. It's the same thing as Carmelo Anthony. Carmelo Anthony was going to be ready in free agency. He was going to be available. You were going to be able to get him guaranteed. And yet, you ran and you threw everything away and threw it all at Denver. Who, by the way, is still enjoying the benefits with a guy like Nikola Jokic. Another guy who's probably going to make $80 million a year in his next contract. Because you were in such a rush to get Carmelo now. Patience is a virtue. And... That's something Mark Jackson talked about. They, they mentioned that when we were watching, or I was watching the Summer League game, and you saw the young Knicks. You saw the guys out there like Quentin Grimes. You saw Deuce McBride. You saw the kid Keels they took in the draft this year. You saw what Jericho Sims is able to do. All those guys are so talented and so young. And don't you want to just stay the course if you're the Knicks? Don't you want to see what Emmanuel quickly can be? Don't you want to see what Obi Toppin can be? Don't you want to develop R.J. Barrett into a star? Now you have a real point guard who could get the most out of these guys. And yeah, the first year might be a little bit tough. Jalen Brunson is coming off having one of the best players in the world alongside him, having a bunch of shooters around him. I don't think he'll look as good automatically in New York, at least not right away. Yeah, you're going to have to work out some kinks with Julius Randle, see if he actually wants to be here or not. Yeah, there'll be some growing pains, but you're building something. You're creating a foundation. And ultimately, people will still want to come because they see that you're building something. Ultimately, when someone becomes available that isn't requiring a ton, you're going to still be able to make a move for him. So all that could still happen. But if you rush and you jump the gun and you give away all this young talent and you give away your future assets and you kind of blow your load on what you have right now, then you're done. Then you're out of moves. Then you're playing catch-up, and it could ultimately reset the franchise for years, especially if you trade a guy 
who has the potential capability to be a franchise guy like R.J. Barrett. I don't want to see the Knicks do that again. But Mark Jackson, when they talked about it on the broadcast, they talked about all the young talent, was like, don't you think the Knicks should be patient? And Mark Jackson's like, have you been to New York? The fan base is impatient. And I kind of do blame some Knicks fans. I'm seeing the mock trades all over Twitter today about, hey, we could get Mitchell for this. Here's what we get for Mitchell. Here, here. It's just, it's just quickly and OB and seven picks. I don't know if I want to do that if I'm the Knicks. I really don't. So the Knicks fans, they're equally to blame in this. But I think the Knicks front office needs to take a hard, long look at this and not jump the gun, not try and make a move right now. Yeah, it's tough to sometimes say no and say, oh my God, yeah, we could wait and maybe it'll be better in the future. That isn't always easy to be patient. But I think in this scenario, patience is a real virtue. To take this a step further, Bill Simmons has an interesting uh, game that he plays. He ranks, and he's been doing this, I think, since like 2004. He ranks the players in the NBA based on their trade value, how valuable they'd be in a trade. So, for instance, the number one guy on that list, he ranked 64 players, and the number one guy on that list was Giannis Antetokounmpo because if the Bucks got a call about Giannis, no matter who it is, no matter what they're offering, they say no. Number two was Jokic. Number three was Luka Doncic. Number four, Steph Curry where those teams would immediately hang up. Like, if you call the Lakers about LeBron James, there's more likelihood that they'd listen because he's older, he's, my, he's leaving after this year, all that stuff. Hope you get the concept of the game that Bill Simmons played. And it kind of made me look at everything in a different perspective. What's more valuable in a trade asset right now? All the assets that you put together for Donovan Mitchell or Donovan Mitchell? So when you look at all those assets and what R.J. Barrett can become and what Quentin Grimes can become and what Obi Toppin, maybe even him, could become, what the future picks could become, yeah, they're not guaranteed. But at the same time, you're looking at assets and Danny Ainge generally wins when it comes to finding the right assets and who's getting the right assets at the end of the trade. So do I want Donovan Mitchell? You bet I do. 100% I want Donovan Mitchell. As a Knicks fan, to have that guy alongside Brunson, alongside Barrett, For sure, but what's the cost? What's the price? I want to build a champion. I'm okay with watching this team. I enjoyed watching the Summer League team. I'm okay with lowering the expectations and not overreacting to the winning season they had two years ago to tempering expectations and saying, okay, that happened. Now let's move on. Now let's try and get better. Let's try and build. I'm okay with that. And I hope other Knicks fans are too. (laughs) I always talk about how like, there's nothing to talk about during these times and I end up having like every episode I, I've been listening back and I'm like every episode is just me talking about how there's nothing to talk about and it kind of got repetitive and kind of felt like all right you're taking up seven minutes at the beginning of every episode saying I have nothing to talk about when there's obviously stuff to talk about because then you end up talking for the next 40 minutes and maybe saying there's nothing to talk about and remember I went back a few months ago and I did the the list of things that people are talking about this week when there's nothing to talk about I think it was during the NBA all-star break and at the end of the day, it's just like fake content that I've made for myself. And I think that's such a lazy move on my part. It really, really, truly is like just lazy and not finding interesting things to talk about. And I really um, was kind of annoyed at myself for doing that. So I did want to talk about one thing, though, because at the end of the day, it is one of the more uh, relaxed times in the NBA season, right? And so I'm not just trying to fill time. I think it's interesting content. And I think there's a lot more to talk about than I give myself credit for. And I think I'm going to save that for another episode because I actually do have a lot to talk about because, like I said, I did the uh, interview. So I took up a lot of stuff. But 
one of the things that I heard, and I need to watch TV more often because this just creates content for my show. Some people's content is just watching other people's content and then responding to it. And it's not the worst strategy for content creation. I was at the barbershop and the TV was on and first take was on. And it wasn't the main guys because this is when the main guys take vacation. This is when the main guys take off. But first take was on and it was, I think it was Kendrick Perkins and someone else. I don't remember. But I, I sat there and I watched it because I was in the chair anyway. And the first topic that came on just had me cracking up. It was, are the Clippers the Kings? Are they the big brother in LA now? And first of all, it's just been a topic that's been done so many times. And I, I predicted this topic a couple of weeks ago when they got John Wall. John Wall is not close to his prime. John Wall is injury prone and we haven't seen him healthy and on the court in years. And Kawhi Leonard, yes, every other year he looks incredible. So this would be the odd year that he looks great, right? Because it's every other. So this would be the year that he looks awesome. But again, we haven't seen him healthy in a while. And Paul George hasn't been the same guy, even though his ceiling is also great. So first of all, let's not overreact to the Clippers. They're not that great. And then the Lakers, on the other hand, are not good either. Yeah, Anthony Davis could come back and be really good, but they're going back and forth. And obviously it's predetermined who takes which side. No, the Lakers will never be the little brother in LA because they have all the history and blah, blah, blah. And then the other guy's just like, well, the Clippers are going to be incredible. Look how good the Clippers are going to be. And he comes back and, well, even when they had Lob City and Kobe was at the end of his career and he wasn't as good anymore, still it was a Lakers town. Does anyone care? Is there anyone who's listening to that like, hmm, yeah, this, this is good. This is good stuff. <laughs> and then the other thing that I, I watched and I was like, both of these teams are going to be like maybe five seeds and below maybe playing teams and maybe the Clippers like I said if everything goes right they they are really good but still it's not about big brother little brother the the idea the concept they weren't even debating which team was going to be better into next season it was just a debate of who's going to be like like a fake thing that they created so that so that they can then debate it it's 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 honestly really impressive and I I'd have more to talk about if I watched more TV because this the sports content on TV today is king. It's just it's just funny and it's uh, and I mentioned it to the barber. I was like, "Do you do you hear what they're talking about?" I kind of said to him, "I was like, do you hear this?" And he's like, "Well, there's so much money in the sports. So these guys get paid so much, so they have to talk about something and blah blah blah." And he turned it into a money thing, which at the end of the day, I guess he's right. There's there's so much consumption. There's so much out there to consume for sports content, and there's so many people just starving to listen to it. That ultimately it does numbers. But to me, I was just like, I can't imagine anyone sitting there and really enjoying and appreciating that. That's just me, though. Um, Like I said, I did have a guest. I mentioned it a few times on my previous podcast. That was Tuesday morning. And if you didn't hear it, go back and listen. Um, It's a good episode. Episode 76, Justin Shackle. If you're not familiar with him, I don't blame you. He, like I said, was a fill-in broadcaster for the Yankees. He uh, does on field he actually did the post game interview today filled in for meredith uh, makanakovich on the s network and then he's also filling in for john sterling on the radio side doing play-by-play for the yankees on the yankees radio network during the road trips that john will not be taking this season or a few of the road trips that he's not going to be taking this year he'll be on the road for most games but he decided at the ripe young age of 85 to start taking some games off which if you're john sterling well, that it probably extend your career uh but this kid is 35 years old and and well not a kid anymore but he's 35 years old and he is doing yankees games on the radio uh play by play and he's worked his butt off to get there and so the way i approached it was as a human interest story because to me 
as someone who's trying to break into the industry and somebody I, I share this a lot on the podcast that I like to talk about my journey and I like to share that and I like to try and maybe leave a blueprint for the next person. But even if I'm not leaving a blueprint for the next person, it's a, it's a story of resilience, his story. It's a story of battling. It's a story of not taking no for an answer. It's a story of staying determined. And so even if you're not someone like me who's trying to create a career in media and sports and you're just someone who's trying to make a life for yourself or anything in life, whether it's a career, whether it's a relationship, whether it's anything, and you're trying to build something... Listen to that story because he tells you things that are interesting that you can take into your own personal life. So, yeah, I could have him on and we could talk about the Yankees. We could break down the winning streak or breaking, snapping the losing streak they just had. We could talk about Aaron Judge's MVP season. Sure, we can do all that. But I could do that with anyone. I could do that on, on my own. Yeah, he has maybe a little bit more insight and he did give us some insight at the end over there. And I was kind of running out of time, so I glossed over a little bit. But is it really is that something that you want to hear from him in particular? Or do you want to hear how someone went from a college kid who was sitting in the bleachers at City Field or Shea Stadium at the time broadcasting games to himself to now being the actual play by play announcer for the New York Yankees? And how he created that path. So to me, that's why that's so interesting. And I do want to hear people's take on it because I've heard takes like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know who he is. So the, the story wasn't so interesting. And, and that's, that's just to me that like, it doesn't matter who he is. It's just his story and what he's created. And like I said, for me, someone who's trying to create a career in media, obviously it's interesting. But even if you're not, it still to me is extremely interesting to hear someone who persevered and pushed through like that. It's kind of inspiring and it kind of can get you to think and try and open your mind and do something like that yourself. So to me, that that's why I had him on. That's why I talked to him. And that's why I chose to go that route when I did talk to him. Now, he did mention something about the Yankees at the end. And like I said, I was running out of time, so I didn't really follow up on it. But he actually thought the Yankees would trade for a middle infielder. Um, he mentioned a reliever also and a starter. And to me, that makes sense. I think Clay Holmes showed resiliency tonight after blowing two games, the one in Boston and the one last night, which was just absurd. I was driving and I didn't have the game on because I saw they were up three nothing. So I got in the car and instead of turning the game on, I was just like, all right, game over three nothing. I could drive home. I was actually in New York, so I could have just turned on WFN and listened to it. But instead, I didn't. And then I get the notification, Cincinnati 4, Yankees 3, ball game over. And I immediately get a text from my friend that's a voice note from a friend that was at the game. And I was like, uh-oh, what just happened? You're up 3 nothing against the lowly Reds. And then what happened happened. I went back and saw it. Obviously, Holmes lost his command. But I think the resiliency that Holmes showed tonight fighting through when his command again wasn't great was really impressive that he was able to battle through that game and I think important for the long-term success of this team. So good job, uh, Clay Holmes. But Severino, we don't know what's happening with him. He might be hurt. The one thing that, and Justin talked about this on the podcast, was the Yankees have had barely any injuries to the starting rotation. So getting a guy to come in who's a starter, getting a reliever to come in who can be an extra arm, another guy you can rely on, like I talked about, building up the depth is more important maybe than getting a corner outfielder. And he said this before Hicks got hurt, so we'll see where they go with the Hicks injury. And when he said a, a, a middle infielder, so I think a guy that you might want to look at, because at the end of the day, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, 
I think he gets too much hate from Yankee fans, but at the same time, he's not been the answer. He's been not great at shortstop. He's a gold glove third baseman, but he's not been great at shortstop. Josh Donaldson also not been great at third base either. Defensively, he almost lost in the game again tonight on a ground ball. Could have gotten a double play to get Holmes out of that inning. And that's why Holmes was in trouble in the first place. And kind of for left was not been great at the plate. Donaldson's not been great at the plate. A guy who you're looking at maybe is uh, Brendan Drury, who's a former Yankee. Uh, he plays for the Reds, actually, so you get to see him in this series. He's shown some power this year. He has 18 home runs on the season. He can play the outfield. He can play the infield. He's a super utility guy. So maybe that's the guy you do look at to trade for. Ben Intendi, everyone kind of talked about him, but what if you end up having to play a series in Toronto? He's not vaccinated. What if you have a playoff series in Toronto? And for the games there, even if it's only two games, he can't play. So are you really going to trade for a guy that you can't rely on to be available for you? But the interesting thing through all this and as the Yankees broke their three-game losing streak tonight, is winning covers everything. We're not talking about Isaiah kind of for left as much as we would. We're not talking about Donaldson as much as we would. We're not talking about Clay Holmes blowing a couple of games as much as we would because the Yankees have been winning and winning at a record pace. And so the positives are obvious. The positives are great. The Yankees are winning. The record is incredible. But I think this losing streak has actually been better for the team in the long term, and that's another thing Justin said that we didn't get to flesh out really. Ultimately, this team was far from perfect. There's no way that the team that the way they looked last year, the additions they made, all of a sudden, this team's incredible the way they've been. They were outplaying themselves a little bit. And so the fact that they've had a little bit of a rough stretch and they've had a moment that we can look at and say, okay, there's improvements to be made. There's something to do here. Okay, maybe we need another guy in the bullpen that we can rely on. Okay, maybe we need a middle infielder. I think having that moment, having that realization, is actually a good thing and something that's come from this three-game losing streak. So am I glad it's over? Of course I'm glad it's over. It was terrible. We haven't experienced that. We haven't seen a four-game losing streak all year as Yankee fans. But I think ultimately it kind of wakes you up and it wakes the team up. A little bit of adversity. You come back from adversity... That's not the worst thing in the world. DJ also, DJ LeMay, who ends up scoring the, the winning run, he's not been himself this year when you talk about middle infielders. He started off strong, but if you start to look at that contract, it's not the best contract in the world. He's been clutch still, but he's kind of fluctuated. He started over batting over 300 for most of the beginning of the season. Now he's down to like the 270s. At one point, he got as low as 260s. He had a really weird defensive inning in Boston that ultimately led to Boston coming back and beating the Yankees. So it's not the worst thing in the world to look at your team and say, okay, we're not perfect. We have work to do. Because if you ended up going the entire second half kind of in cruise control, you can't just turn it on. There's no on switch. We talked about this last year that you could turn on in the playoffs. And speaking of last year, I just had some PTSD the last few days watching them blow those games, being up in the series 2-0 and then losing the next two games when they had a lead in both of those games. Like there was some serious PTSD for me as a Yankee fan watching that, that series in Boston, watching the loss against the lowly Reds. All that stuff really hurt. And so I'm glad they won tonight, but let's not get too comfortable. Let's not fall back on the way it was last year. I think this team still has a lot of work to do. It's not perfect yet. So I think the losing over the last couple of days is ultimately a win for this team. 
Now, a story that I want to talk about. I talked about the media just a minute ago becoming topic of conversation. One of the guys in the media who's been a topic of conversation is Don LaGreca. Don LaGreca has these rants. Now, I've said this to friends that I think initially it was real and it was kind of cool, but um, I think he's kind of overdoing it where he, he'll go crazy. He'll just rant at callers. He'll get angry because it's done good numbers. And I never agree with that. I never agree with the idea that just because something is becoming popular that you do it over and over again. I, I always think you have to stay true to yourself, but that's just me. So Don LaGreca, his rant was about Joey Gallo, how he hasn't hurt the team. And this is the this is the part that just, it's exactly what I'm saying. Yes, he has hurt the team. The team would be better. They're 62 and 26. How could they be better? They'd be better. They'd have more wins if Joey Gallo wasn't on this team. And so when you look at this team, is he going to get at bats in the playoffs? And this was the stupidest argument ever. Don LaGreca's freaking out about, he's not going to get at bats in the playoffs, but he hasn't hurt the team. Well, if he's been good for the team, then he's going to get at-bats in the playoffs. So that's what I've said. Like, The winning covers all the warts, but the warts are still there. And we have to see them. I'm not saying that... I just got another, another message saying, Nick's Jazz, talk Mitchell. I'm just really nervous. <laughs> I'm really scared right now for what's going to be in that trade, and it'll probably come out as soon as I'm done recording. Classic. Although, you know what? It's the middle of the night right now, although maybe they're all in Vegas because of the entire NBA, all the executives, everyone's in Vegas. It's a great thing, actually. I'm sorry, I'll get back to the Yankees in a minute, but it's a great thing if you look, and I was hearing other people talk about it. You walk around, there's just all the superstars that are there, and all the top players, all the GMs, all the coaches, everyone's there at these games, so it's kind of cool. I, I got to get to Vegas one time for the uh, Summer League, and I love Vegas. I know it's a million degrees during the summer so maybe it's not the best time to go but maybe it'll be cheaper to go because it's a million degrees maybe next year i'll go and watch some summer league ball if the knicks don't trade their entire future away maybe i'll have something interesting to watch when i head out there um what was i saying back to my point oh well even if i'm not i i I do want to see the the how the inner workings of the nba works with everyone walking around people post pictures and russell westbrook's on one side of the arena and lebron's on the opposite side and people create stories out of it so it's fun it's fun to be part of that chaos i imagine um, back to the Yankees, though, and Joey Gallo. Like I said, the winning covers the warts, yes. But at the same time, I- I'm not trying to be negative, but you have to take things for face value and say, okay, can we win like this in the playoffs? So the argument that they had that Joey Gallo hasn't hurt the team, but he needs to be off the team in the playoffs, it's just a stupid thing to say. It's just he obviously needs to be off the team in the playoffs because he would hurt the team if they weren't winning the way they are. A team that has been winning a ton, and I didn't talk enough about on this podcast is the local Baltimore Orioles. They just won their 10th consecutive game. They're over 500. Every team in the American League East is now over 500. They're a couple of games out of a playoff spot. And I'm not saying that they're going to be a world champion. I'm not saying that that's what's going to happen. But a couple of weeks ago, we had a conversation in the studio with a couple of the producers and some other people from the fan here in Baltimore talking about, okay, the next few weeks, the Ravens are off. There's no NBA. There's no NHL anymore. What are we going to talk about on the air? And it's going to be a lot of BS and just a lot of hanging out and chilling. And oh, has that changed over the last 10 days? The Orioles have turned into one of the most fun stories in baseball. And something that I've loved is how every team has rallied behind them. Everyone's been so into this run. If you look at fan bases across the country, you read Twitter, people are so into it. I tweeted out 
something about the Orioles, and it's gotten like a million likes by all my Yankee fan followers. I think people don't see the Yankees or the Orioles rather as a threat. They see them as like a fun story and people are rooting for these guys. So I kind of want to, because I've been here, because I'm seeing what's going on and I'm seeing it up close and personal, I can kind of give you a inside look at what this team actually is and how this team's been able to do it. I was at the ballpark on Sunday. They had 20,000 people there. Doesn't sound like a lot. The previous week, the Orioles had a game with 7,000 people there. So their record attendance for the Orioles, it's, it's almost as good as it's been on opening day. And the crowd was not like a boring crowd that wasn't into sports. That's what I love about Camden Yards. When they play well, like I remember going to Nationals Park during a playoff game, and it's a cool ballpark, but I always people always compare the two, and I always say that I like Oriole Park, Camden Yards better because that was real baseball fans. People were going crazy in the stands there, and I love that. It was not just that it was 20,000 people. It was 20,000 people who were really invested in this team and really care. The job that Brandon Hyde has done, and to me that's the biggest thing, I watched his interviews, and I said this to a friend about a month ago. I was like, okay, he asked me about Brandon Hyde, and I said, look, I don't think he's the best manager. I think he's an okay manager, and he's just that. He's just okay. Like, he's there because he's good for the locker room. He's good at talking to young players, but I don't think he's a great game manager. But what he's been able to do with this team is so impressive. I actually said that if they started winning— and they felt like they were close to being a playoff team, he'd be gone. You might have to reevaluate that because the attitude in that locker room and the way they talk and the way he talks about the team and about his players and to his team and to his players has been so impressive. And it's honestly what's kept this team together, a special chemistry and bond. They had an off day going into this series against the Cubs that they now won the, the two games in the series. They had an off day and they were all on a boat on Lake Michigan and Chicago together. How awesome is that? Like, this team actually loves each other. There's an actual real bond and chemistry with this team. The next thing is the bullpen. Somebody said to me, and I said this a while ago, I said, this bullpen has been nails. And I was sitting next to a friend at the Oriole game, who's a a listener, and I appreciate it. Listen to the podcast all the time. And I get feedback from him. You know who you are. And I was talking to him. I was like, I'm telling you, this Orioles bullpen is sick. You just don't realize it because it's not talked about because they weren't good. Jorge Lopez has a 1.7 ERA in 42 and a third innings this year. He's going to the All-Star game. Felix Batista has a 1.77 ERA in 35 innings. Dylan Tate has a 2.55 ERA in 42 innings. Keegan Aiken has a 2.3 ERA in 50 innings. And Sinel Perez has a 0.9 ERA. 0.9 ERA in 30 innings this year. I don't, I don't think people fully understand what's happening in Baltimore right now, but this isn't just a, a, like an accident. Yes, guys are playing above their pay grade. Yes, they're getting lucky. And I kind of said that in the game, they scored on a couple of wild pitches back-to-back. They had a ball bounce off a player, and that's how they scored another run. Yeah, it looks like they're getting lucky, but they keep getting lucky. There's something weirdly magical about it. That, yeah, they're playing above their pay grade, but they just keep winning no matter what. The Jorge Lopez story is actually incredible. I think he was out of the league a while ago, and the Orioles picked him up because they wanted to take a chance on him because he was pitching really bad as a starter, and they decided to put him in the bullpen. And the reason they put him in the bullpen was because, or actually scratch that, they they had him as a starter also, and he was pitching terribly as a starter. And after starts, he would go straight to the hospital because his son had a condition, 
had a certain type of cancer he was dealing with. So he would pitch in the Orioles game. And he wouldn't stay for the end of the game because he was going straight to the hospital. He got shelled for like six runs in three innings and have to go straight to the hospital to be with his son. And they moved him to the bullpen this year. And the story that he's become is a story that should be shared everywhere around baseball. And there was a great article up on Barstool Sports actually about it. So I'm gonna, I'll am gonna i put that link in the description because that guy is a special story. And everyone on this team, and that's, that's the crazy part. Look at Jorge Mateo. He was in the Yankee system forever. He was a highly touted prospect. Never really worked out. The defense he's playing, the clutch hits he's come up with. Ryan Malacastle has come into his own. Austin Hayes has been arguably an all-star this year also. I'd venture to say he has been an all-star this year. He's really developed into a really, really talented, really good player. The job that Robinson Chirinos has done, bringing along Adley Rushman, and Adley Rushman carries himself like a superstar. He has this little hop skip that he does when he scores after the game. He carries himself like a superstar, but then in interviews, he's like almost Jeter-like. And Bill Ripken said that in the pregame on Friday. He's like, he has a Jeter-like way of speaking where he's like, I'm just happy to be here. I just want to help my teammates win. It's all about the team. And then on the field, he has like this confidence of a superstar. And Chirinos, an older veteran catcher, has brought him along. Santander has come into his own and had a great season. And then there's the situation that you look at with a guy like Trey Mancini. Trey Mancini, we know the story. He's been through it all. And we had an interview with him last week. And it was kind of sad hearing him talk about how, you know, he's been through it all. And finally, he's getting to see the fruits of all the losing and it finally pay off with them winning. And he's talked about how much team this team loves each other and the chemistry. And everyone said all the right things. He said all the right things. Hyde said all the right things. But at some point, Mancini is going to be moved this year. And at some point, Santander will probably be moved this year. And maybe even Jorge Lopez. And I hope the Yankees get hope for Jorge Lopez, honestly. At some point, that's going to happen. And a team that's really built on chemistry, it's tough. It's sad to see it. And I think, ultimately, the team may come crumbling apart a little bit at the end of the season when that happens. But the bond that they're building now and what they're doing now and the fact that they're over 500 today is what's incredible. And the way to avoid that for the future, by the way, is pay guys already. Pay guys like Cedric Mullins. Yeah, he has a couple more years. You could wait till arbitration, but then you end up in the same situation that you're in with Anthony Santander. You know, the highest paid player on the team right now is Trey Mancini. He's making $7.5 million a year. That's it. I know it's a lot of money, but for a baseball player, that's it. I think they have maybe four or five guys who are making over a million dollars annually in their contracts this year. That's it. And it's just a team that plays with confidence. They're a team that plays for each other. They're a team that plays with a swag. I just... I love what they've been able to do. And Cedric Mullins is a guy who's an everyday center fielder. And Bill Ripken talked about this. That you need to just pay him. It's time. You need to go out there and lock him up and say, center field is yours for the next eight years. Give him a seven-year extension, something like that. And I said that when Wander Franco signed his huge deal with the Rays, I said, look, if they can sign a guy, if a team like that who never pays anyone can sign a guy to a 13-year deal and lock him up now when they didn't have to, then the Orioles can do the same thing for Cedric Mullins on a much smaller scale. And someone who I talk to, someone who I work with here, disagreed with me at the time. And so it's good to hear a guy like Bill Ripken actually agree with me and say, yeah, you're right. And say it on the air and say, they should really lock up Cedric Mullins and make him the center fielder of the future. So how do you avoid situations like Santander leaving and Mancini leaving when those were guys that you were going to theoretically build around, especially Santander. He was like, 
relatively one of the young guys. How do you avoid them leaving in just a couple of years and them being the night? Oh, no, we're trading. We're getting assets for the future. At some point, the future is now. And I think with Cedric Mullins, the future is now. But forget about everything. Forget about all that. They're not winning a World Series. They're not maybe most likely not even making the playoffs. But just enjoy it. It's been a really fun team. If you haven't seen the story, that's just a little insight into who these guys are. Check them out. Watch them. They're fun. I do want to talk about the Angels for a second because they played them. And the tweet was actually really funny. The tweet was in May, I think. Somebody tweeted this out. It was like, Mike Trout hits three home runs and drives in five while Shohei Otani breaks a record, something that hasn't been done since 1922, while the Angels lose nine to five. (laughs) I mean, that's literally been every game for the Angels this year. And now since they fired their manager, I think they they were losing a lot. But I think since they fired... Their manager, Joe Madden, I think they've won 8% of their games since he's been fired and since Phil Nevin. I like Phil Nevin as a guy. He's fun to root for. Not a great third base coach and apparently not a great manager. 8% of their games they win and they have two of the best players in history. In the history of the game, two of the best players. And I went to go see them in person and they still lost. All right, um, I have to talk about this on this episode because it's what's talked about. I'm going long, so there's not there was some other stuff I was going to talk about, and I'll hold it for next week. But we got to talk about this situation with Zach Wilson. If you don't know the situation, I'll recap it quickly. So Zach Wilson was dating this girl for a long time. They dated, I think, in high school and college, and then during the draft they were dating, and they broke up some point at the end of last season, kind of maybe around the Super Bowl time. They scrubbed each other from their social media, and they're no longer dating each other. Now, recently, it's come out that this girl is now dating one of Zach Wilson's former college teammates. Um, and by the way, it's interesting what I want to talk about. I'm not huge into gospel, though. I think I'm into it. I think it's funny. I think it's a fun topic to talk about. But you'll see kind of why I do want to talk about this. Zach Wilson's college teammate, his college roommate and wide receiver who now plays for the Washington Commanders... Uh, posts on Instagram that he's now dating Zach Wilson's ex-girlfriend. So somebody writes in the comments to Zach Wilson's ex-girlfriend, homie hopper, meaning she's jumping from one guy to his friend. That's a frowned upon thing amongst the community. She writes back, he was sleeping with his mother's best friend throughout our relationship. And at that point, I'm like, oh boy, here we go again. The Jets can't avoid scandal. They can't avoid any of this stuff. Of course, it's happening in a public way. The Jets are going to be ripped on. Zach Wilson is not reliable. He's not a starting quarterback. He doesn't have the mentality that you need. He doesn't have the... He's just not the guy. He's not the guy you want leading your franchise. He's a little kid. He's he's Mormon Manziel. And boy, was I wrong. The reaction that this got on social media was so positive was so pro Zach Wilson. Every wide receiver in the NFL tweeting out, that's my guy, that's my quarterback, Makai Becton, writing GOAT and all that stuff. And all these guys reacting. DK Metcalf, guys around the league, guys in MLB, NBA, no matter who you are, you're tweeting about how great Zach Wilson is for banging his mom's friend. That's what we're talking about. That's been the reaction to Zach Wilson. And I can't say I hate it, honestly. Like... I thought truly this was going to be just another war for the Jets. Just another, oh, this is classic Jets. But oh, was I wrong? And I couldn't be happier to be more wrong. 
And this is, by the way, this is what I talk about on this podcast all the time. Perception is everything. I thought there was going to be, you could take the same story and you could say it's classic Jets. It's the Jets creating a scandal. The Jets are such a joke of a franchise. Dumpster fire. Look, you have this kid who's a quarterback who was cheating on his girlfriend with his mom's friend. Or you could look at it as, oh, this guy's got that dog in him, the way everyone's talking about it. And to me, it's just so freaking funny. And then Zach Wilson doubles down. He comes on social media today on Instagram. He posts a tweet, and actually, I love or an Instagram post. I love the post they posted. He posted uh, pictures. He took his wide receivers and a couple of his other teammates out and his tight ends. He took them to a lake in Idaho. He took them to a, ha- a lake house. I think it was Idaho. He took them to a lake house, and he just p- had practices with them. And he got built the chemistry. Something like I talked about with the Orioles, he built the chemistry. The Rangers did this. One of the best Rangers teams we saw in a long time. They had a... Uh, the team trip before the season. So Zach Wilson doing that is super cool. But the the caption that he had on the post of the pictures of him and all his teammates hanging out and playing football and running routes and learning the playbook together at this lake house was, been a minute, had no cell service. What did I miss? Or did I miss anything? I think was the way he said it. I'll I'll actually pull up the exact quote because it's worth it. Took the boys to, and then the name of the place in Idaho, before camp, exclamation mark. Poor cell service, dot, dot, dot. What I miss. And everyone in the comments, there's so, at the time, this was a while ago, over 7,000 comments of people just like, what a dog, what a legend. what is And everyone, the same thing. All these wide receivers and all the people in the league, he's just earned the respect of everyone in the league. And it's just the funniest thing to me how the perception is totally just everything in the world is just how we look at it. And something I always talk about on this podcast, but you know what? I'll take it. If the Jets' odds go up to win and this guy actually has that little feistiness in him, sure, I don't mind. Now, I do want to talk about one thing because it's actually related to um, football. And it's not just about the quarterback being Zach Wilson and what he did. But it's something that I was talking about with a friend. And I think Zach Wilson, he's set up to take the next step. He's been set up. They put the receivers around him. He goes and does this quarterback camp like we talked about or this camp. He went to a tight end camp earlier in the offseason. He's really trying to become that guy. This is really important. He's set up for success. Joe Douglas did an incredible job. He built the offensive line. He put the receivers around him. He gave him the tight ends. He got him the running backs. Zach Wilson needs to take the next step. And something interesting, and the reason why they moved off Sam Darnold is because Zach Wilson has the big playability, but now can he become the every-down quarterback? If you look around the AFC, I take Zach Wilson over Mac Jones simply because he has the ability to be the big play quarterback. Look at the AFC quarterbacks. Let's say you make the playoffs in the AFC. You're going to be faced with having to beat Patrick Mahomes in a playoff game, having to beat Josh Allen in a playoff game, having to beat Lamar Jackson, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, Deshaun Watson, even a guy like Derek Carr and now Russell Wilson. That's eight quarterbacks in the AFC, who are big play quarterbacks, who are incredible quarterbacks in the league. They're probably eight of the top 10 quarterbacks right now. Look at the Colts. They're like, hey, we have Carson Wentz. We had a pretty solid season with him, but no, we, we need to get better. We need to get Matt Ryan. Even the Browns, and this is kind of the flip side of what I talked about a couple episodes ago, that, wow, you finally had it stable and you ran to get rid of him. Yeah, Baker Mayfield was a stable guy, but we needed a difference maker if you're the Browns. You needed a guy like Deshaun Watson because of the other quarterbacks in the league and how good they are. So a guy like Zach Wilson and why they traded away Sam Darnold for a guy like Zach Wilson is because 
you're going to need such an incredibly talented quarterback. Look at a guy like Tannehill. They win during the regular season, but they can never win the playoffs with him because he just doesn't have it. He doesn't, he's not the big play guy. The reason I threw Derek Carr in there is because you can have drives where it's two plays and they're in the end zone. Zach Wilson has that big play ability, but can he, be, can he become the every down quarterback? Guys like Baker Mayfield are not that guy. Guys like Sam Darnold was not that guy and was never going to be that guy. Even a guy like Tua, they're so nervous about Tua in Miami. They went to got Tyreek Hill because it was like, that's the only chance that maybe he becomes that guy is if we go and get a quarterback, get a wide receiver who can stretch the field and is unstoppable. And then maybe we'll have a long game with him and then Tua can figure the rest out. But if you're in the AFC right now, Trevor Lawrence could be coming along the way also. <laughs> who knows? He had an awful year last year, year from hell, from the, the coach to everything that happened. But he could be the next guy in the AFC also. So if you're going to win a Super Bowl, and if you're going to win playoff games and come out of the AFC, you're going to need a guy who's got that dog in him. You're going to need a guy who can air it out, has that big playability. You're going to need a guy who takes command of the locker room and makes things happen. And Zach Wilson seems to be doing that. So is the perception everything? Is it not a great thing in reality? What he did, I don't know. But as long as it's perceived the way it's been, I'm more than happy with it. All right, I really got to run. It's been a long podcast. I'm going to talk to you guys about a couple other things uh, that I do want to talk about on next episode. So until then, please like, subscribe, rate, review, share it if you like it and everything else. If you didn't listen to the last episode, like I said, it's a really cool human interest story about Justin Shackle and his story. So until next time, see you. You. The best nights of my life You got the light that always shines I miss the way that you move and the way I get high When you take me to your eyes Like I'm standing in the sky I see your subway cars and your old graffiti I breathe your air when I land in another city I'll be that one that's got you printed on my bones Yeah, you're all I know Everywhere I go, oh, oh, I ain't changed it all oh, oh, Always on my road, I'm still New York You're the only oh, 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 that I'll ever know oh, oh, My concrete walls, I'm still New York Drive down Riverside See the birds flying on the highline With the sidewalks burning We pray for rain in July I want the Yankees 99 yeah. And the Knicks on a sold out night When the curtains close And the Broadway's reach our life hey. I need your heartbeat close Don't you ever leave me And I breathe your air When I land in another city And I'll be one that's got you printed on my bones Yeah, you're all I know Everywhere I go, oh, oh, I ain't changed it all, oh, oh Always on my road, I'm still New York You're the only oh, oh, oh that I'll ever know oh, oh, My concrete walls, I'm still New York Yeah, BK born and raised, I 
I was God sent. I usually hit them courts, y'all didn't prospect. Take them long walks on my time spin. Just a kid with that empire, stay the mindset. Kick flipping off a blind deck, dipping from the New York City's finest. Yeah, said I've been up on my New York shit. Walking down the block with my New York bitch. I can never leave my city, ain't nothing like it. Even if I do, though, I can never hide it. Top down on the west side when I'm driving. East side be the only side of the ride. I'm still here.